Thank you for this opportunity to uh, jump on the stage, and um, it's only been eight years in the coming, so. <laughs> but it's arrived, it's arrived. You know, I feel like I've done this everywhere else except here, so. <laughs> it's really cool, and um, hopefully I bring a message that everyone can um, get something from today, and that God can speak to you, and um, a little bit of a story about my story. And a lot of you may know bits and pieces here and there, but hopefully there's some new things in there. And um, for those that don't know, we'll get something out of it. Um, I don't even know how to use this. Right arrow? This one? Aha. There we go. Nice. All right. I should be able to work that out. Cool. So bouncing back. Um, so story, I think, for a lot of people can probably relate to this because... I think life is about bouncing back and um, how we bounce back. Um, you know, so I think we go through all sorts of highs and lows and it's how we react, it's how we um, get through them to how we move on to the next stage of our life. And I think when we don't have God, it's just so much harder to do that. And I'll, I'll go more into that. Um, but I was um, brought up in a really loving family, mum and dad at home. I have two younger brothers and a younger sister, um, and I really couldn't have asked for a better upbringing, um, but there was one thing missing, and that was God, um, initially, so I was actually born in the North Shore, um, started off life in Red Beach, um, should I not have said that? <laughs> I should have left that bit out, <laughs> but... Um, no, well, I don't remember that part of my life because I was only there briefly, so that's all right. <laughs> but I made, eventually made it to a little place called Waitakaruru uh, on the Coromandel, Hauraki area. And then we um, went across to Paunui by the time I was about two, and Dad bought it as business um, uh, from... He was involved with hopper construction, which a lot of you might have heard from, the Red Roads, that's sort of a hopper construction thing, and they went from Red Beach to Paunui, and they built all the red roads in Paunui, for those that have been there. Um, and then he went into irrigation and eventually um, went into carpet cleaning, which he still does to this day. A um, couple of years in Paunui, and then we ended up in Thames, where I remained for 30 years. So, um, yeah, but I was never brought up as a Christian. We weren't anti-Christian or anything, but um, it just wasn't something that kind of featured in our life. Um, in fact, I remember... You know, Bible in schools, used to have that in schools, and I think it's called something different now, but um, I used to get mum to like write a note to say that I wouldn't be attending Bible in schools, you know? <laughs> I think back, I go, heck, what was I thinking? <laughs> but it shows me how far I've come, you know, and how far we've come. But, you know, for a lot of people in their life, there's that one person that really is a foundation, is a rock, and somebody that, even though this person's not in my life anymore, our family's life, what they planted in is now fruitful, you know? And the impact that they've had on myself and my family will be forever, will be eternal, you know? And that was my nana, my father's mum. And she was a good Baptist woman. Um, <laughs> she started in Auckland as well, and she actually ended up in Pyro. She finished her life there, and she was in a, um, like a retirement village there. And... We called her Nana Mac, so Nana Mackenzie. 
and she really was a wonderful woman, but I don't think I really got that at the time. Like, we only had her till I was 10 in our life. Um, but I had this special bond with her, you know, and I didn't get to spend a lot of time with her, but what was planted in those moments, I'm still benefiting from, and the family is. And I fully believe that it was her faith and her prayer that really shifted our family at the time of her passing, you know? And that was, it was so strong in her life and her sisters as well, who, who went on um, past her and um, the oldest, or well, the youngest ones just passed away in the last couple of years, my auntie Smee. And the, the three sisters, like the three amigos, but what they shared was this incredible faith, you know? And I think when we've got that somewhere in our family, there's always hope, you know, and it may not always be in the family, it might be a friend, but in this case, it was in our family, and they shared the special relationship, and as each one of them passed, it's like that mantle's then been passed on, you know, so their legacy continues, their prayers continue, and I really honor and, you know, respect those that pray into family, and, um, you know, people like Tui, and they value the power of prayer and the, the time spent in prayer. It's, um, it's so needed in our lives. So we lost her in 95, and although it was a difficult time, it was the first time I'd experienced loss in my life. Um, here's a little photo of Thames. Those of you who recognize the, <laughs> the old school shops. Make Thames what it is. Um, you know, I hadn't experienced death and I was still young, but um, it was really just the start for us as a family, as our Christian walk. It was the end for her. She was reasonably young, only in her 70s. But, um, you know, one thing she said to God, she always prays that she would just be taken and that she wouldn't suffer. That's exactly, she was in perfect health. And she went, she spoke in a meeting, probably just very similar to this, within the retirement village. And then she passed. She went and sat down and passed, just peacefully, amazingly. And um, although it was sudden, it was devastating, it was exactly what she asked for, you know, and she was taken. Um, so that was the first for me. But it sparked something in our family. And from that moment, we started attending church, which was, um, at that time, was the Thames Elam, and we were actually in a um, picture theatre. So um, my first experiences of church were running around this picture theatre, which was a sloping floor, you know, <laughs> and, like, doing trains with all the people and, like, crazy stuff. And it was like, yeah, because this is what church is like, you know. <laughs> and um, in many ways, the answer was yes, but um, it was the, um, the Toronto time, you know, that, that blessing was coming through. It even made it to Thames. <laughs> and um, we used to have meetings on, on this farm and, you know, people came and they were falling over and speaking in weird languages. And, but somehow I felt okay about it, you know, although it was like I didn't understand it. God was doing something in me, and um, mum and dad got uh, baptised, and my next brother down, um, and, you know, I, my dad really led the way into our next season of life, and, you know, um, creating a family of faith, and what we would carry on in, in future years, and they shared a, a strong faith and attendance and spiritual growth that was um, ingrained into me. Um, that it took you, me, like I, I think back, and I thought, what happened 
for me in that time because they got baptized, but God was still working on me. And um, it took a little while for me to kind of step into that um, and ingrained in church. But for, for me, it was actually the, the youth group that really sort of um, connected me in, you know, and I was able to form friendships and, and find out who God was, you know, and um, have people around me that could encourage me and help me and support me through that time. So, and when I was 14, I, I remember it, I, um, I went to this event and it, we used to have concerts and get these cool bands in and stuff like that and um, went to this event and they had the altar call, you know, at the end and it was very much the, um, the fear-based altar call, you know, like, you don't give your life, you're going to hell type, type thing, you know, like, <laughs> we all probably recognize that, but it was very much like that, but it did something to me, <laughs> even though I cringe when I think back. It really did something to me, and I put my hand up, and, you know, at the end, my youth leader came to me and said, I thought you were already a Christian. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't want to go to hell. <laughs> but that was my thinking, you know. So, um, but again, it sparked something in me, and it sparked my journey. And at 16, I, I got baptized. We used to do it in a swimming pool um, at Thames Elam, and um, it was fun, you know, and they got around you and prayed for the Holy Spirit and, you know, it was another step in my journey of walking into to my faith and um, through school, you know, I was certainly no um, A-grade student or anything, but I always enjoyed it and I always um, tried hard and did my best and I got my school certificate, which most people wouldn't know what that meant anymore, the younger generations, but... <laughs> It was something significant to us as uh, students. And um, for those that don't know, it was basically like, yeah, NCAA, it wasn't, but, yeah, level one. Yeah, so it wasn't anything um, high, but it meant that if you got it, you achieved more than 50% in certain subjects, which is great. <laughs> and I remember I got 79% in maths, which... <laughs> Yeah, I was certainly no Einstein, but um, I got it remarked because I, I was 1% off getting an A. <laughs> it's like, can't believe it. But it came back and I still got 79%. <laughs> but, you know, it was funny because sixth form hit, um, which is year 12. Is that correct? Yeah, year 12. And something again shifted. You know, I went back and people were different. All the classes were different. And all of a sudden, I didn't know what I was doing. I went into maths and it got called something different and got split up and I was like, my whole world is like completely changed and I didn't know even what I wanted to do in life but I turned up in that first term and realised that um, maybe I wasn't that good at school anymore <laughs> and you know, I didn't have a whole lot of friends or anything like that, I didn't have any really close, you know, best friends and all that sort of thing um, but one thing I did love is woodwork, you know and um, I think that's what really adhered me to my learning was being able to go to woodwork and build stuff and um, you know I'd even go at lunchtime and carry on on my projects and it's just I loved it and um, I didn't understand that that could become a career but I thought if I'm going to do something it's going to be woodwork you know <laughs> so, um, and not long into sixth form we actually had a person come around and he was offering scholarships you know for carpentry and I thought yep that's me so I took that, and um, by the end of the year, I had a full-time job and um, had completed all my theory in carpentry, 
and um, started my career. And it was over in Hamilton, you know, had my own car, I'd saved up working at Caltex and burger bars and whatnot. And um, that was the start of my working life, as it were. And I jumped at it, I loved it, and I knew that that was going to be me for life in some form or another, which it has remained to be. And um, I was thankful through that period to have a good grounding because as um, you know, I was building to my career, I still held on to my faith. And you know, I still wasn't the world's best Christian or anything, but it was still there. It was still in me. And I still went to church and I still kept it a priority in my life. Um, I still didn't really have a, a connection with God in a way that I do now, but um, I don't know, it was a season that I still needed to go through. But I was thankful for, um, you know, I wanted to pick up a little bit on what Kevin said about, like, around generosity. It was one thing that my dad taught me, and, um, you know, I think the Bible's really strong on that as well, how we're to be generous, and taught me about giving, and, and those things I value so highly to this day. And have continued to develop, and um, I don't know, I just, I want to keep getting more generous, you know, I don't want that to have a, a limit. Um, but, you know, through my career, there was still more missing, and um, my dream was always to have a wife and a family, and um, it's amazing for some people, they have to wait, but in a lot of things, God is just like, boom, for me. It hasn't always been that way, and it won't always be that way, but um, you know, it was on my heart, and God really honors things on your heart, and um, so significant or small. And um, so at the end of 2000, I picked up a, um, what was it called, a tearaway magazine, which was like a school teenage Christian magazine, and um, there was, um, they used to have like classifieds in the back of it, you know, and um, I became pen pals out of that classified with that woman over there. Amen. <laughs> and um, although she didn't know at the time, I had an ulterior motive <laughs> through that. <laughs> oh, I didn't just want to write letters. <laughs> but it's funny, you know, like even right then, I knew something in that moment. You know, you have these moments and you go, there's something about this. There's something about this person. There's something about this setup. And she was in Taranaki. I'm in Thames, you know, so how does that happen? How does God go, you're going to write to that person, you're going to get married to them? You know, like, it's too much of a coincidence. Um, so, yeah, here I am writing these letters back and forth in the, putting them in the letterbox. We had a rural property, so, you know, you put the letter in the letterbox and it would vanish during the day. It was great. And then one would arrive back from Amy, you know. And um, in the background, you know, youth group was still going on and still continued to go to conferences. We used to go to um, up in Carmo um, through, oh, I've forgotten the name of it, Breakthrough, Breakthrough Conference. And I used to love those times because it was a time to connect with God. And although I didn't learn to sustain that between the conferences, it still did stuff in me. Now my relationship with Amy continued to develop and by the end of 2001, we finally met drove down and met Amy and um, things developed from there and started 2004 we were engaged and um, that year we brought a house together and by the start of 2005 we were married so everything kind of developed quite quickly 
but it was what we wanted and what we um, were going after and I also became a qualified carpenter in the same year and you know you could see that that Kiwi dream I guess you'd call it was was happening everything was falling into place I had this amazing career I had this faith I had an incredible wife we had a house and all these things that like were so we were so blessed and you know but we still had to learn how to do marriage we still had to learn how to knit together you know and um two people coming from different completely different families backgrounds areas all of a sudden living in the same house um so the first year wasn't that great was it? <laughs> you know but we learned a lot you know you you either push through don't you or you give up and we pushed through and we decided well we're gonna keep going and i'm so glad that we did because of what we have now and the family that we have now and i think sometimes you have to learn these lessons so that you can move on to the next season in life and we sure had a lot to learn and at 2021 we were still pretty young but we had this shared dream and it was to have children you know and it's for especially for amy and at that point she hadn't really had a focus on a career like i had i already had my career so everything was in place but for amy she tried a couple of things but nothing really was um, sparked in her for a career so her career was to be a mum you know which is the greatest career you can have in the world and probably one of the hardest and that's what we wanted so that's what we went after and again got on it at the end of 2006 we fell pregnant with our uh, first child and by the end of 2000 and uh, sorry august 2007 this little fella was born his name is caden troy mckenzie so he was born on august the <laughs> I should have written that down. <laughs> and so we had this beautiful wee baby. And, you know, it was this incredible time in our life. We were young in our marriage. We had this baby boy. Everything had come through, you know. God had really come through for us. And it was a joyful time. Um, but it was a very tough time. Young Caden, he didn't sleep. So, which is not uncommon for newborn babies um, some of them sleep incredibly but he basically didn't <laughs> he chose well, he probably didn't choose but he didn't sleep so we had five weeks of virtually no sleep at all um, especially amy but we were loving it we're loving being parents and just the joy that it brings and every parent will know that um, and one morning you know i was wakened and it had got light you know that transition of dark to light and um I realized in that moment that something had happened because I'd slept and why had I slept when we hadn't been sleeping and all of a sudden I had and I sort of launched out of bed and um, went to our little boy's room and he passed away um, for no reason but he'd, um, he just passed away in his sleep and you know, no parents should have to do CPR on their baby, but that's what we had to do. It never gets easy to tell this. 
And it was even harder to carry that little fella in a casket. But, you know, that horrendous week in early September and time preceding has been etched into us. And what it's done to us has made us the people we are now. And it's made an impact on people's lives around us. And, you know, God gave me this incredible strength which I never asked for. It was just like a, you know, you don't, you don't have to earn gifts. And I had this incredible strength and resilience and strong spirit. And, you know, many people came to me and say, how did you do that? How did you carry that little guy in the casket down, down the church? And I said, I don't know. It wasn't me. It wasn't me, but, you know, I realized that I had to be there for Amy. You know, I had to be strong, and I knew that my strength wouldn't get us through. And we had to push on because you have to hope for a better future. And, you know, there's always people in a, in a worse position, but at that point, you're at the lowest of lows. And I actually never even remember praying through that period, but I, what I received was exactly what I needed and what we needed. And, you know, although we didn't get any answers, there was no sense in it. And just was, um, we didn't ever have something to tell us why it had happened. But God was there in it. He met us in it. And I really love, um, in Trent's message, he talked about the tapestry of grace. And he repeated Romans 28, uh, 8, 28 a number of times. And, you know, I am and Amy... We're a living testimony of those words. And I don't, I don't know if you saw the, um, the Passion Translation version, Trent, but it, I really love how it sort of wove into your message. <laughs> Continually woven together for good. You know, And although in those moments you don't see the good because there's no good in it at the time, now that we look back, we can see good, you know. And there's some good over there in that little Coca-Cola <laughs> that Isaac <laughs> leaves all around the place, the little birds. And, you know, in January that following year, 2008, we fell pregnant again. And, you know, that wouldn't have happened if we hadn't have lost Caden in that moment. Um, it was only a very short space of time in between. And often I think back and I think we wouldn't have had Isaac in our lives without having lost Caden. And although you can't replace one with the other, he'll forever be our oldest boy and his own um, human and his own right, our son. Um, Isaac came along. There he is there. It's not the best photo, but <laughs> that's our second boy, and we called him Isaac Caden. And we always talk to the kids about about Caden and, you know, that time of our life and well, they don't, they don't understand it either. We still don't, but um, he's very much still part of our life. He was born on the 3rd of September, and he was this incredible blessing to us. You know, two days later was the anniversary of when Caden passed. So August and September are incredibly up and down time for us, <laughs> and um, a, a lot of joy, but also a lot of, um, yeah, hard times as well. But you know what? Everything works for good. And we also started our business around the same time that Isaac was born. And we built our first house. 
2008, so that's a little clip of it there in Thames. Um, so we'd, we sold our, um, the first house that we brought, we'd renovated it, and we wanted to just get out, didn't we, Amy, at the time. Um, we sort of moved in with mum and dad, so we're not going back to the house. But then something shifted and we just went back and we cleaned it up and we sold it and we were able to build this beautiful house in Thames. And by the end of 2009, Amy fell pregnant again. And this time we had a, a wee girl on the way. And, you know, with the excitement of Olivia arriving, it was also to be another very difficult time for us. And I'll never forget it. I was actually um, in Aitutaki at the time, working, and there's some building over there, which I love, but mum and dad actually brought Isaac over, because um, I spent, um, yeah, a month away, and then went on to spend three months away, and they brought Isaac over, and we had this incredible time together, we had a couple of weeks, they spent with me while I was working, and they came to me and they said there's something different about Isaac, and... It was like this wrecking ball in that moment. went straight through me. They'd had four children, so they knew straight away that he wasn't doing things that their children, us, had done. He wasn't achieving things that they were achieving at the same age. So they made this observation in, in a very loving way. So when I got back, um, that's when we found out that Isaac was autistic and... Again, we had to get our heads around something else that we didn't, we weren't familiar with. We weren't, we didn't know why. We didn't know what it was. We'd never experienced it in our families. But it started to explain the, the head banging and the tantrums and the, the no on, eye contact, no compassion. You know, you couldn't get a hug out of him. Um, and we had to come to terms with that and understand it and realize that it was something that we were going to have to support Isaac through now um, and as parents help him um, and meet him where he was at. And then young Olivia was born in July 2010. There she is there. And, you know, things you seem like you're kind of, you've gone through your lowest and then you have another blow. You think, well, surely this is it now. Well, we were dealt another blow off Olivia, and although you wouldn't know her now, she spent a very difficult year in her life, in her first year, and, you know, Amy spent much of that year in hospital with her, and that's her with the nasal gastric tube in there. She wouldn't eat, she wouldn't drink, she wouldn't do anything that she was supposed to do, and as a parent, that's all you want for your child is to grow and be healthy and thrive in life, you know, and we weren't able to do that for her naturally or even with different milks, and we tried everything. Um, and in the end, she had the tube in, and she used to rip it out, and we'd be at the hospital at some terrible hour of the night with a screaming baby, and the nurses didn't even know how to get the tube in. <laughs> it was terrible. And, um, you know, but again, God came through for us. She had all these tests. She went starship, all these things that they said was wrong with her, and in the end, none of it was true, and she wasn't. there was nothing wrong with her. Um, but it was another season that we had to get to through and another season that God had to give us the strength to be able to do it. But, you know, after that first year, um, she began to take on um, solid food and began to really kick off her life. So, you know, Olivia, she's always been kind of that little bit behind, but she's always got there. She's just battler. 
And those of you who know her now will know that you probably wouldn't even know that she was like this when she was under a year old. But, you know, Isaac continued to stay on the path of autism and the doctors weren't offering much hope at all. They're, you know, saying things like he wouldn't talk, he, he hadn't said any words to us. Um, you know, he was going to continue these traits through his life and, yeah, it was difficult to hear that there wasn't a lot of hope from the, the medical world <laughs> for, um, for our boy. But, you know, we never brought into that and... I know I'm, I'm always the optimist, so I, I really didn't want to believe anything they said. Although I understood that he was going to face challenges, so I wasn't blasé to the fact that he was still different in many ways. We were still going to get through it, and we were going to hope for more for him. And you know, we continued working through the business and building the business, and then 2002, 13, uh, 12 and 13, Hurst and the business took a huge hit and we basically ended up going bankrupt. Um, but, you know, it took us a while to work that out at the time. We just kind of continued on and you use this money to pay for the stuff back here and, you know, you just, okay, we're going to get through it and um, we didn't get through it. And we ended up having to sell the, the house that we built. We had to try and recover all our debt and, um, you know, but... God works for our good again and again. He always works for our better. And we knew that his promise was on our life. And, you know, although it seemed like we had everything thrown at us, we still didn't truly know him, but he continued to just press into us and continue to pursue us. And, you know... there was a significant moment in my life when a good friend of mine from Australia gave me a, a CD and a book, and those things changed my life forever, and it was a CD of Bethel worship, and it was a book from Bill, um, Bill Johnson, you know, and from that moment, I was introduced to the kingdom, and it was time to go after it, because, you know, all through youth group and all right up to my 20s, I was so passionate about um, the prophetic and healing, but I never understood that I could operate in it, that God could use me. You know, it was always about the person up the front doing it, but not me. Um, but it was my time to realize that it's for everyone. And I booked the first conference I could find, which was a guy by the name of Randy Clark. And he was going to a church called Liberty. And it was the winter of 2014. So here I was, walked into this big, massive building, never been to before, and again, instantly, I knew my life had changed as soon as I walked in the building, and if the book and CD hadn't done it, well, the conference certainly did, and I was never to (laughs) be the same again, and, you know, in the background, we're completely broke, everything's still falling apart, we're accumulating debt, but that didn't matter in that moment, because God was doing more in me, and there was more ahead. And the impossible situations we had to come over together, overcome. We had a six-year-old with autism. We had Olivia with her delays in life. But, you know, God kept breaking through. I kept, you know, that's from that moment on, I started praying to Isaac's life and declaring things over him. And, you know, those of you that know Isaac now, they know he doesn't do those things anymore. He still has his difficult times and his little quirks but he'll give you a hug. 
he'll make eye contact, he's compassionate. We were leaving mum and dad's 60th last night and he said he'll miss them. He's never said that before in his life. And he said, I'll miss you, Nana Paps. I love you. You know, autism, autistic people don't often do that. You know, so every time we grab onto that and go, yes, God, that's amazing. And we hold on for more hope for him. And, you know, I, I keep praying for him every night. I keep declaring things over him. I keep seeing more for him. And I'll never give up on that. And 2015 came around, and I got to join with this wonderful bunch of people, which some of you <laughs> recognize. <laughs> and Kevin led this amazing trip to Samoa, which again shifted something in my life, made an incredible uh, impact for me and for our family. And I came back, and you know, up to that point, we'd, we'd been coming up, we'd been traveling to Liberty. Uh, most weeks, as often as we could from Thames. You know, we didn't even have money for petrol, but somehow we made it up. And, you know, some weeks we wouldn't even have any food left for that week, but we would take some bread, and that would be what we'd get through for the next couple of days, you know? Like, we didn't even have $3 to buy a loaf of bread. But there was this blessing of this bread table, which in latter years I got to then give on to people that needed it um, through the bread ministry, which was incredible. But, you know, things were so tight and we had to pay for this trip to Samoa and we had to do all these different things. But God continued to meet us, uh, continued to be generous. And coming back from Samoa, came back to Amy, I said, I think we need to move to Auckland. And it was another God thing. You know, God sparked something in me and we knew that it was our time to move on. We knew that God had something for us up here. Amy wanted things for her career, which she, she was able to meet, and God wanted us in this house. And the kids got into an incredible school, Oakland um, Special School, which is still at now. And, you know, I started um, going down the streets with Fatu, and uh, that's not the right one. There we go. So there's one of my first nights. So that guy in the hoodie there, he got healed. Um, from his shoulder. He had shoulder pain. And, you know, we, I remember we approached him. Fatu must have taken this photo because he said, oh, we'll go and approach that guy. And I was like, that's the last guy I want to approach. But <laughs> <laughs> I did anyway because that's just what Fatu did. And um, he got instantly healed. Like he tested it out, he could fully rotate it. And, you know, that sparked something in me for healing straight away that I could see it happen for myself, you know. Um, so, yeah, that started the, the Kingdom on the Street journey. I'm going to have to get through this a bit quicker because I'm running out of time. Um, but what I wanted to show you, I'll flick through these, but I was able to do something special with Isaac um, that we're able to create a, a bond with. And many of you will know about Isaac and his hunting and his camo clothes and his stags. And um, This is him at six years old in the orange there. And we started off... Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't look that happy, but at the end of that trip, we walked out of that hut there, that wasn't my space box either, by the way, um, <laughs> we walked out of that hut, and he realised we were walking back to the car, and he was actually, I put him on a bike, because he couldn't walk um, in the bush like we were doing, so I thought, how am I going to get him in there, I'll put a car seat thing on the back of my bike, and I'll ride him in there, so we did that, and that wasn't easy, but we did it 
got him in there. And he realised the next day, after hearing stags roaring and having a ball, staying in this hut, that we were going back home again, and he wasn't having a bar of it. <laughs> he was like, no, no, we'll go back to the hut. So um, it sparked something in him. And um, so we continued our hunting journey, and that's how I, after that trip, started carrying him around. We imported that special pack from um, America, and um, you can see the joy in his face. And, you know, there's Dan. Hopefully Dan might even be listening right now. Dan's over in Canada, a good friend, Dan Martin. And um, what he did was, look at him, he's carrying two packs because I had another pack on my back. So um, it was because of him I was able to do what I could do for Isaac. And it's those people that support you through those times, even though for Dan he's probably, why, why are we taking this crazy child? I just want to go hunting with you. <laughs> he would lug all our gear in like that so that I could do it. And, you know, we've moved from that into a time that now Isaac can walk in on his own and we got our very first animal together, which um, for those of you who don't like hunting and that, that's okay, but um, <laughs> meat's got to come from somewhere. <laughs> and um, that's how we do it and we, we harvest it and we eat it together as a family and we learn lessons from it. And the joy that, that brought that young lad, you can see it in his face there. And... Um, it's a moment that we'll never forget. We tried for seven years, probably close to 30 trips together, um, battling all sorts. And Amy came on one of those trips, and she's never been back since. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we share that together, and it's been incredible to see Isaac develop. And to, now he's part of, I, you know, it seems like I've only just been in youth group, and now he's in youth group. And here's our business that we started, we, we came away from, when we first came to Auckland, I was working for someone, and then we decided to go back into business, and this time we'll put God in the centre. This time we're going to do things differently. And every year, we've given increased amounts. We've given, we've given, we've given, and guess what the profits have done? They've gone and gone and gone. And that's not why we give at all. There's not, nothing to do with why we give. But as we've sown in, as we've given more, as we've been more generous, God's just continued to pour out. And that's, yeah. And, you know, we've grown the business and it's just, it's never been better. Although we still have difficult times and it's hard work and you sacrifice a lot. You put God in the center and everything shifts. And, you know, I've had an opportunity to grow in worship, learn the drums and it's... um an incredible journey you know I saw a gap and I was able to come into that and it's like I've always loved worship but I've been able to go to the next level and you know people like Mel and Adrian and all these others have encouraged me and helped me Michael into becoming hopefully somebody that can lead congregations into worship and make them draw closer to God in those times and I'm so excited to continue that You know, this is one of my highest um, values in life. And this is um, the NLT version of 1 Corinthians 14.1. And it's actually inscribed into a ring that Amy has on her finger. And it says, let love be your highest goal. And for me, it's just the gospel was that simple. If that's what our goal is, if that's what we're going after, then there's nothing higher than God's love. You know, what have I learned from all this? How to bounce back. It's that tennis ball, you know, and 
getting that image on there probably took me about an hour. <laughs> I had this one night, right from when I got home from work till whenever I went to bed to work on today's message. And I probably spent at least an hour of that <laughs> finding it. I had this image in my head, you know, and I couldn't find it. I, it was meant to be a basketball and, you know, here's this tennis ball. I thought, no, nah, well, that's it. <laughs> it works. <laughs> and the very next morning, I was driving to work, and I saw on the road a completely exploded tennis ball. So it was in pieces. I actually run over it. Like, <laughs> I thought, yeah, you've got a sense of humor, God. But it also, it, it reminded me that for some people, they don't bounce back. Sometimes when they bounce, they shatter into a million pieces. And that's what happened to us. But, you know, God put all those pieces back together and we were able to bounce back into where we are now. And no doubt that tennis ball will come down again and that has continued to do that at times. But because of what we've learned and what God's put in us, we're able to bounce back strongly and not shatter into a million pieces. So um, can I have the worship team up, please? Um, we're going to do another song. And um, Trent's going to explain how it's going to work. We're just going to do something special. Um, and... I just really believe that that word was prophetic. I don't know if it's congregational, but just around that tennis ball, if you feel like your life is like that or has been or you haven't been able to put the pieces together, then I just I don't believe in coincidences. And when I saw that, I knew that that was going to be the word for somebody, um, that God needed to help you restore that tennis ball so that you could bounce back. Okay? And um, also, I know there's someone here off a right shoulder and a right foot that needs healing, so... Um, all right. Awesome. So we're going to do something special now, Trent. And um, 